This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by Ape Entertainment, who is proud to present the return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves coming to a comic shop near you this March. Hey, this is THN Love Slave Kevin Coffee, and you're listening to the Two Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like good. Oh, we're recording. This is happening. Welcome to episode 99 of THN, engineered by DJ Patrick over here. What? I'm drunk with power! I'm teaching him how to do this because I'm ditching him for a little while. More on that later. We're talking about comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, January 16th. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. When I'm not wringing my hands wondering how many of my co-hosts' Christmases and wife birthdays are going to push a recording schedule back. (laughs) I'm appraising comics and writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not defending my four different Christmas celebrations that lasted well into January and planning an entire weekend of birthday celebrations for my wife while simultaneously taking a dump on our recording plans, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist of Good Plus, which you can find at GoodPlusComic.com. Com. This week, you're going to hear reviews of Todd, The Ugliest Kid on Earth, number one, and The Black Beetle, number one, after that. We'll review ten more comics so fast, you'll swear we're using performance-enhancing drugs during a ludicrous speed round. We'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where performance-decreasing drugs will help us learn the secrets of next week's comics. And finally, I'll be forcing Joe to rap, and we'll suggest some comics for one lucky listener, because the comic pushers are back. But before we're stripped of our gold medals, let's take a moment to mourn the fake deaths of our fake girlfriends to drum up some media buzz for this year's podcast awards. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. Just when you thought it was finally over, more Marvel now announcements hit the net. First, Marvel announced the relaunch of Adjectiveless X-Men, which in itself is an adjective, with the creative team of Brian Wood and Olivier Coipel. Wood previously had a short run on the title, briefly elevating it above its usual position between mediocrity and complete uselessness. The new X-Men title will star an exclusively female cast, Storm, Psylocke, Kitty Pride, Rogue, Rachel Gray, and Jubilee, who Wood confirmed was still a vampire. Why are they not calling us X-Women? That's, that's a stupid Just title. Just call it X-Women. It's that's what it is. It's a stupid title. Also announced, Thanos Rising, a five-issue miniseries by Jason Aaron and Simone Bianchi, chronicling the dark origin of the Mad Titan. This title seems to be replacing the Thanos Son of Titan series by Joe Keating that was canceled before release. Makes a little bit more sense now. I suppose. And finally, since the market really didn't need this many X-Books, the publisher announced that Extreme X-Men and Age of Apocalypse have been canceled. The first issues of X-Men and Thanos, and the final issues of Extreme X-Men and Age of Apocalypse, all ship in April. Matt, what do you think of the new books? Uh, In reverse order. Let's start with the cancellations. I could care less. Extreme X-Men started off kind of fun. I really don't care. I'm not going to miss it. I, I didn't read either of them beyond number one. Age of Apocalypse is really good. It's really good, and I'm kind of going to miss that book. It was a lot of fun. I think it's just bad timing for that one. Really. Maybe. The Thanos thing, this does solve that mystery. I was kind of excited. I I don't dislike Jason Aaron. I think he's great. I, he's writing probably my favorite Thor story I've read in years right now. But I kind of wanted to see what Keating was going to do with the Thanos Yeah, thing. but I mean, it does make some sort of sense that with the Avengers movie tie-in and all this, that they wanted a higher profile right. creative team to do it. Right. So um, I like the idea of Brian Wood writing an all 
female X-Men book. I think it seems right in fun. his wheelhouse for sure. It'll certainly be a good time. I my question is, how many books can this guy write a month? <laughs> That's true. Like I didn't read Brian Wood's run on X-Men. It was good. Yeah, but I just like I read the first the first couple and I just I was reading too many things. I, I decided blaming, there were too many X books. I think you're blaming the book because the story was pretty good. Yes, and that's fine. And like I'm saying, if you want to make Brian Wood the writer of Uncanny X Men, fine. Yeah. But they got that firmly handled. There are too many X books. They need to get rid of I Astonishing totally X Men, get it out of there. It's yeah, not serving any purpose it anymore. It doesn't make sense. Or just make it like a Astonishing X Men, like that's where all the miniseries go. Sure. Oh, you know? yeah. Like Astonishing X Men, colon, whatever. Yeah. But uh, I think with the addition of Quapel on the art, that makes this book probably one of the must-read X titles. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. So I'm excited it's for it. It's going to be great. I'm very excited the X-Men, for it. The X-Universe right now, period, is in really good hands. Yes, absolutely. In DC news, it looks like the train has gone a little further off the rails. In addition to the cancellation of DC Universe Presents, I, Vampire, which sucks because I love that book, Saucer Country, and Superman Family Adventures, the publisher has announced that writers Robert Vendetti and Jim Zubakavich, or Jim Zub, have been replaced on their respective titles before the release of the first issues. Venditti was solicited as the writer of the upcoming Constantine series and has been replaced by co-writers Jeff Lemire and Ray Fawkes. Jim Zub was scheduled to take over Birds of Prey from Dwayne Swierzynski. Instead, DC has inexplicably handed the book over to Sword of Sorcery writer Christy Marks, creator of Gem. <laughs> Add this to the recent truly outrageous. You're fired. Just kidding. Drama with Gail Simone and what read like a very rehearsed interview with editors Bobby Chase and Robotic Bob Harris. Even and it all makes DC seem like a company in free fall. Joe, can something become so broken that it can't be fixed? Yeah, I don't know. It all sounds very, very bad when you put all these well, little anecdotes and things together. I will say that Venditti came out and said it was a mutual decision. He had taken on too many projects and he needed to scale down one. Still sounds really fishy. I know, I know, but he like he himself came out and said, "Look, I I took on too much work, sure, and things were going to get rushed and I needed to let one go." And they said, "Well, how about Constantine since it hasn't started yet?" And so that seems on the up and up. Fair. And we should also acknowledge that canceling books that aren't working or aren't selling isn't necessarily a bad thing no like people may have really loved i vampire people weren't really buying i vampire no they weren't which is it's just too bad it's such a good book and i got it i have to give dc credit at least for knowing when to cut something from their line that doesn't seem to be working and replacing it with something new that is one of the benefits i think of the new 52 is that they you know every six months they'll go okay this has to go Let's start the next new thing. And I appreciate them for that. But the constant musical chairs with the creators, it's nonsense. Let's talk about the interview. Let's talk about the interview first. It was bizarre. It yeah. sounded like... like, it sound, they, were, they, like so, they sounded like Stepford Wives. They sounded like family members that were trapped in a cult. Yes. You know, where like the family's like, we got to get them out of there. And they were just like, no, but we're so happy. And everything's just great here. You know, like... <laughs> It was beyond bizarre the way that they brushed off the firing of Gail Simone. They were like, what are you talking about? We were just waiting for her next script yeah, to come in. Nothing like that happened. Yeah. Like, they literally just said, 
No, that's not what happened. Well, and then every... Yes, it is. You issued a statement. And then every third question, they made a point to say how much fun they're having. We're having so much fun here. Right. This whole thing just, like, this reminds me of this Manti Teo BS with the fake <laughs> girlfriend and crap. It's like... It's, maybe Bobby Chase isn't a real person. Maybe. I think Bobby Chase is a real person. <laughs> She's a real person. I think they put a gun to one of her loved one's head and they went, now you march in there and you get on the internet and you tell everybody how happy you are. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, you know we, we talk about DC and what's wrong with DC a lot. And we, we're not editors. We don't know the answer necessarily, but... From my perspective, it seems like that it seems like DC has settled for a short-term market boost in exchange for the long-term health of their line. Absolutely. They're just I mean, now you could argue that everyone is throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks, but it seems like DC is making it their marketing idea where every 4 months we just do something new. Just do something new, and we'll just keep living on temporary spikes in sales. And screw it if we've got to throw a bunch of stuff away. We threw our whole line away and started over, and yeah. everyone loved it, right? And I think while it might be working well for them now, like on paper, DC might be thinking they are having a successful time. In fact, there was an interview with the DC sales team a week or two back where a Bob Wayne or somebody on the sales team said... Yes, according to these charts, f- fans are very happy with DC Comics right, at the moment. Right, The numbers say, yeah. happy. And it's like, <laughs> have you asked any fans what they think? Yeah. Or are these just people that are buying the books regardless of quality? And I would argue, if you look at the sales numbers right now, Marvel is dominating. Dominating the top 20. And DC books are slipping a little more. I mean, with the exception of Batman, with the exception of JLA and Aquaman... The books are slipping. They're slipping down in numbers. Yeah. And it's going to continue. Well, and really the last time that people bought books regardless of quality was the 90s. And we all know how that ended. Right. Where they all at once decided, oh, we don't want comics anymore. Yeah. And if that's what DC's plan is, they're just going to repeat history. Right. And run themselves into the ground. Yeah. And it's sad because I I love DC. I do too. And I know it seems like we pick on them a lot, but this is disturbing. It is a disturbing trend. We pick on them a lot because we want them to be better, not because we hate them. Right. And not because we love Marvel more, because we want it to be just as good or better. In a perfect world, if someone says, which do you like, Marvel or DC? I go, this month, Marvel. Next month, last month was definitely DC. Yeah. You know, it should be neck and neck, man. And right now, it's not. This is depressing. Let's move on. Following the success of their Adventure Time series, Boom Studios has announced plans to bring another cartoon hit to comics. After a free comic book day special in May, the Cartoon Network's regular show will hit the stands in comic form in April. The series will be written by gun show creator Casey Green with art by Allison Strelov. Regular show revolves around Mordecai the Blue Jay, Rigby the Raccoon, and their lives as groundskeepers, I guess? Yeah, they, they clean up a park. Matt, I, I don't know anything at all about this show. What's the deal? They're groundskeepers for a public park, along with their buddy High Five Ghost, who helps them out. <laughs> High Five Ghost. With a ghost with a hand sticking directly out of the top of his head. Although, he can summon four other arms when needed. Or and he, if he needs to give multiple high fives. Or pick a lot of stuff up. He, regu- he doesn't speak very often either. Um, it's sort of like Seinfeld in the sense that the story is about nothing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's about absolutely nothing. And it's just a day in the life of these ridiculous characters. They've got like a big muscly Frankenstein kind of dope friend, you know, like that 
gets in trouble constantly and has a girlfriend that looks just like him. Mm. It's really creepy. <laughs> like they hang out with like an ape, sort of yet yeah, a white ape dude who's like a bodybuilder, <laughs> and, like, and they just go on ridiculous adventures. And it's fun. It's just a lot of fun, and not so much Adventure Time, which is like loosely D and D based. You know, sure. It's more just weird wackiness. You know. Okay. And it's great. It's a it's it's a fun time, and I think it's going to translate to comics really well. Well, yeah, and I think Boom Studios is a great place for it. I yeah. mean, they have a proven track rec- record with this kind of thing. They're doing a great job, and it's going to be fun, kind of slacker humor. Like, kids can get it. I find it's a lot funnier when you're stoned. <laughs> 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 but, I yeah, I really like it, and I watch it often. It's on right before Adventure Time, I okay. believe. Well, I'll check it out for sure. Right before, I, right after. Uh, they announced this week or last week that netflix made a deal with yes. cartoon network and yes. adventure time and regular show and adult swim well, are all they, coming to netflix they cited adventure time adult swim regular show and johnny bravo johnny bravo <laughs> yeah, remember that? hey baby you know like, yeah. <laughs> like i don't know why we're bringing that one back but yeah. well whatever cool. i mean right. i like johnny bravo yeah it was whatever. fun i suppose i think it's gonna be a really good fit here they've done amazing work with adventure time and the Marceline and the Scream Queens. Mm-hmm. I'm not so much into the other one. I can't remember the name uh, of it. Fiona and Cake. No, that was great. Oh, Bravest Warriors. Bravest Warriors didn't yeah. do much for me. But I think this will be great. I think they it's already a proven success. They know what they're doing. If it draws kids in, it's doing its job. Yeah. And at the very least, this news got me interested in uh, checking out the show, which... I've heard good things about. It's a lot of fun, uh, but I've never seen it. It's a lot of fun. Totally freaking. It's a little more drier than Adventure Time, but great. All right, (laughs) I'll give it a look. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where Joe and I are proud to announce our own animated show, The Two-Headed Nerd Super Show, which follows our adventures much in the vein of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, which starred the dearly departed wrestling icon, Captain Lou Albano. Thank you for your inspiration, sir. Come on now, just like that! Each week, my fake girlfriend, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week on Facebook and Twitter, and we read your responses on the damn show. This week's question was, what are the best and worst cartoon comic book adaptations out there? Adventure Time, Thundercats, whatever. Joe, what are these nerds saying? As always, we begin with Twitter, our one and only Twitter response from Jason Wood. Jason is uh, a member of... I believe 11 o'clock comics, a great podcast. Check it out. Okay. Thanks for writing in Jason and for following us. Welcome aboard, Jason. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard, Jason. For him, it really begins and ends with the original G.I. Joe and Transformers comics. Right on. Hard to argue with that. Right on. Moving over to Facebook, we have a response from Brian Domingos, who says, Mad Love by Paul Dini and Bruce Tim, who he refers to as Bruce Timmy, is as good as it gets. Uh, that was the that was the Joker Harley Quinn. Yeah, they won all sorts of Eisners for it. It was, it was the it was essentially the first comic book version of Batman the animated series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, written by Paul Dini and, and drawn by Bruce Tim. It was an excellent. amazing graphic novel. Michael Robertson says Adventure Time is awesome. The essence of the cartoon is carried over into the book really well. And the Simpsons comics, especially the Treehouse of Horror issues. Those are always great. I read them every year. The talent on those books is first class. I stopped watching The Simpsons, and I still read the Treehouse of Horror every year. Awesome. Yeah. 
Candy Gross writes in and says, The all-new Batman, Brave and the Bold, it had the same goofiness as the cartoon. It did. And had even more random characters in it. The Halloween issue had Zatanna and Cain and Abel uh, from Sandman. Cain uh, and Abel were respectively oh right the right. yes the hosts of the house of mystery and the house yes. of secrets yes or vice versa i don't remember exactly nathan bradford says my pick is gi joe cobra it took a rogues gallery of cartoonish villains and spun them into terrifying evil terrorists also who thought chuckles would be the joe's most valuable asset as a deep cover agent I'll admit I fell off the wagon after the death of Cobra Commander. Calm down, not a spoiler, it's in the title. But it was one hell of a ride. I couldn't agree more. G.I. Joe Cobra is an amazing comic book. It is. And it absolutely is. People don't believe me when I tell them, look, it's about Chuckles, but it's awesome. <laughs> don't laugh. It is the best comic book starring Chuckles you will ever read. Great responses so far, guys. We will read more later on in the show. It's review time on THN, where Matt and I cheapen the creative spirit of American comics by criticizing two of this week's new releases. Matt, what did you read this week? This week, I picked up The Black Beetle, number one, titled No Way Out, from Dark Horse, written and drawn by Francesco Francavia. I think he did the colors, too, because no one is credited with the colors. Yeah, he does all of his own stuff. Insane. Yep. Here's your solicit. The Black Beetle's investigation of two local mob bosses is interrupted when a mysterious explosion murders them and a pub full of gangsters, taking out most of Colt City's organized crime in one fell swoop. Who would pull off such a coup? And what danger might the murderous bomber do to Colt City and Black Beetle? The Black Beetle is a character created by Frank Avia that is spinning out of the pages of Dark Horse Presents. Recently, there was a Black Beetle Zero that collected that story. If you can't find the DHP ones, it's a fun read. Pick it up. I really like the design of the character here. He's got this uh, Lobster Johnson meets the spider kind of look to him. He is a very pulp type character. And this takes place in what feels like the late 40s, early 50s. Like the cars look pretty old and whatnot. So you know what you're getting into. This is a pulp book. As usual, Frank Avia's loose line style and perfect sense of paneling and motion make this comic feel more animated than drawn, and it's just an amazing visual read. His colors are perfect here. He's working in his usual dark blues, grays, and blacks, tempered with big bright yellows, oranges, and reds that make the dark scenes darker and the explosive scenes even more explosive, and it really helps maintain the pulp noir feel here. The visual storytelling, I gotta say, is really what kept me in this comic, which is good because the narrative is pretty simple. Very simple. It's not poorly written by any means. I mean, like, there there were no eye-rolling moments for me in this book. No. And there was a fun little surprise in the end, but really, the Black Beetle is just a badass vigilante that takes the fight straight to the gangsters, has... A cool gun that shoots darts and lots of Batman-esque toys like... Grappling hook. Grappling hook and his back, you know, helicopter backpack thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his go-go gadget it's helicopter. really cool. And like I said, the writing is not bad. It works very well for this type of crime noir pulp comic. And there might be a little more to the story than what we see here in issue one. We do meet some type of costumed villain in the pro- in, later on in the story. But it's pretty straightforward pulp comic writing. 
I wouldn't be surprised to see Frank Avia's name when the Eisner nominations come out. It's for this book because it is so beautiful. I don't think he's going to re- win anything for writing, but I do like it, and I'm in on this one because it's just so damn pretty to look at. I'm giving this a, a buy it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I I liked it a lot as well. And like you said, the writing is the story is very simplistic. It's very you know black and white. Point A, point B. So you know. far, so far, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, it's a pulp story. Right. It's it's not. Right. Super complicated. No. The showcase, though, is the art. I mean, this is the book that you read for the gorgeous, gorgeous art. Oh, yeah. And you have to be pleasantly surprised that the story's not a train wreck. <laughs> uh, so, it's like when flat when they announced that Francis Manipal was going to be writing The Flash. Right. I was like, oh, man, it's actually good. And we loved it for six issues. <laughs> <laughs> I still I still enjoy it. It's, it's just getting a little drunk out. Yeah, lost But, me. yeah, this is a, a fun book. Gorgeous art. The storytelling is amazing. And even though this story itself is not super deep or complex, it is a fun story with a fun concept and a great looking character. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Joe Patrick, why don't you tell us about Todd, the ugliest kid on the earth, number one? I will do my best. This is written by, uh, from Image Comics, written by Ken Christensen, with art by M.K. Perker, and colors by Samal. Soylian. Whoa. Sorry. Samal. Sorry, Semmel. Kemal. <laughs> Kemal. Sorry Here, about that, Kemal. Here's your solicit. This series, A Collision of Comedy, Sex, and Violence, follows the misadventures of America's most dysfunctional family as they go head to severed head with an Oprah-loving axe murderer, a cult-crazy soap opera star, and a neo-Nazi prison gang. In this first issue... Todd wants desperately to make friends, but every kid he approaches winds up decapitated, or worse. (laughs) Meanwhile, Todd's mother is on a mission to get even with her husband, who she believes is having an affair. That's a very straightforward solicit. (laughs) However, (laughs) this might be the shortest non-ludicrous speed review you have ever heard on the show, because I don't have the first clue how to describe this comic. (laughs) The uh, quote-unquote main character is Todd, a kid who has to hide his ugliness under a bag with eye holes cut into it. But the cast of characters is large and bizarre, featuring a delusional cop, a serial killer, a blind pet store owner, neighborhood bullies, weird, like, uh, Fox News-loving Murica patriot family. Uh, Everything about this book is completely bananas, starting with the weird quote on the cover by Danny Trejo. I'm going to do my best Danny Trejo here, and it's terrible. Maybe one day, Todd snaps out of his chihuahua dreams, but I won't be the one waking up with him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what that's, I don't even know what's that, what that's referring to. I know. They're like, Danny, you read the book, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, I really liked it. Can we get a quote from you? Sure. <laughs> I, I think what they did was they found... You didn't read this, Danny Trejo. <laughs> I think they found a quote from a movie where Danny Trejo says the word Todd and they stole it. Could be. Could be. (laughs) This issue starts with Todd trying to make friends with his new neighbor and ends through a ridiculous series of events with him being framed for her murder. Whoops. It's strange, funny, unsettling, and weirdly racist, but maybe not. (laughs) Uh, It's impossible to pin down. Uh, I will say one thing, though. The book is beautiful. I've seen M.K. Perker's uh, traditional comic art. He was the artist of Air for Vertigo. Yes. Among other things. He's really good. This is a lot different. It's cartoony. 
and it's great. And I loved the coloring by uh, Soylian. I'm sure it's digitally produced, but you can actually see the brush strokes. So it's like on his little, you know, drawing tablet. They he filled in the color as though he were coloring it with marker or a paintbrush. Cool. And it gives everything a nice texture, and I love that style. This is a, a bizarre comic with a bizarre cast and a bizarre premise. I'm on board for at least the next issue, and the art is great, but it's impossible to recommend. I can't <laughs> I can't give it a buy it, but I can't give it a leave it because I kind of enjoyed it on some strange level. That's fair. That's fair. So you've got to skim this one first. Pick it up on the rack, take a look at it, and see what you think. It's a weird one. I didn't have time to read it, so I could skim. Okay. So that is a double buy it for the Black Beetle and a lone skim it for Todd, the ugliest kid on the earth. Of course, we want to know what you unsightly children and costume crime fighters thought of these comics. So drop us your opinions over at the comments section for this episode on TwoHeadedNerd.com. Before we get on with it here, how about a quick word from our sponsors? The Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast is brought to you by Ape Entertainment. Since 2003, Ape has been bringing readers original and licensed comics and graphic novels like Hero of Alexandria, DreamWorks Kung Fu Panda, and the upcoming return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves, which continues the saga where it abruptly ended back in 2007. Look for Poison Elves in this month's previews catalog on page 244 and pre-order your copy today. Check out ape-entertainment.com for more. Thanks again to our sponsor, Ape Entertainment. They help make this show possible. And if you are interested in sponsoring the Two-Headed Nerd, shoot us an email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com with sponsorship in the subject line. Yeah! Hey, he's, he's acting weird. It must be drugs. The International Doping Committee may frown on using mutant growth hormone to enhance performance, but here at the Ziggurat... We just love the way it makes our muscles ripple and raw energy crackle from our eyes and clenched fists. So grab a syringe and join us in trying to break the world comic book reviewing record doing the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed! Go! Daredevil 22, Marvel. Mark Wade takes on the superior Spider-Man who guest stars in Daredevil. He's been, he thinks he's been sent to stop Daredevil and it stops, of course, since he's Dr. Octopus, that means kill him. <laughs> but when the two actually meet, luckily enough, Stiltman shows up and they end up teaming up. It's absolutely hilarious. There's some fantastic dialogue here. Like Daredevil is looking at Spider-Man with his radar senses and going, well, his heartbeat sounds fine and everything. Like he's walking like Peter Parker, but man, this guy does not sound like him. He shows up and he goes, the die has been cast, Daredevil, and you must be stopped. <laughs> Daredevil's like, what? <laughs> Fantastic. Buy this. Threshold number one from DC. Uh, you might recall I was not enthused about the lead-in to this comic in Green Lantern New Guardians Annual. However, this was a lot better. I don't know if it had any less you know, content or less going on, but the art was better all around, and I'm actually kind of on board. I like this a lot better than the tie-in. I'm giving this one up. Buy it. I Check it, it out. Eight issues before it's canceled. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Crawling Sky, number one, Anarchic Press. This is a Joe Lansdale horror story that is translated to comic book. It is a Western story. I just don't think I like Joe Lansdale. 
He kind of he's not like a bad writer by any means, but his style of just sort of like everything gross, everything sucks, everyone's an asshole. You know, like it just doesn't do much for me. The art wasn't bad. I skim it. That's the best I can do. X Factor 250 from Marvel. True confession: I have not read an issue of X Factor in well over a year. Shame on you. Probably two years. Shame on you. And I don't know why. I just got it's behind. Oh, so goddamn good. I know. I know. I just got behind. I haven't read an issue since right after Rain gave birth. I jumped right back in with this one since it's issue 250 and uh, Peter David, you know, been in poor health and all that. And I wanted to check in with him, see how it was. And it's great. And it's true. I was confused by some things. I didn't know uh, what was going on. People have been married. People have died and come back. A lot of stuff has happened. Something really weird is happening with Guido, and I don't know if I like it, but... It's funny. This is a great issue. Uh, he hasn't missed a beat. The art is gorgeous. I love Leonard Kirk. And this is the first part of a storyline that uh, Peter David planted the seeds for, like, ten years ago or something in the pages of Incredible Hulk, uh, The Hell on Earth War. Yeah, it is. And it, I didn't it was that. a ton of fun. I'm giving this one a huge buy it. And I am going to get caught back up on X Factor. Good for you. Insurgent number one from DC. If you didn't look, you may not have known that this series even came out. <laughs> DC yeah. did not do a very good job giving it any press whatsoever. It is not based on the Insurgent novel series, which I found out. It was written, written by a very talented woman, I'm sure. I can't summon her name. The art here was pretty good. The story is interesting. It takes place in the near future. I should premise this with it has nothing to do with anything in DCU. This probably would have been a Wildstorm title back yeah, before pre-launch. Pre-launch, that is. Pre-launch. In the near future, the government has used nanobot-infused sleeper agents to help stop terrorism. Not all these people know who they are. They sort of instantly activate in certain situations and stop terrorists. Well, they said the end of the program. Turned out they didn't. It's very Blade Runner-esque. There's a guy that are going to get to hunt down some of these sleeper agents. I thought this was surprisingly fun. I'm giving it a buy it. Avenging Spider-Man number 16 from Marvel. This is the superior Spider-Man teaming up with the X-Men for the first time. And you know what happens when the X-Men show up? Telepaths. (laughs) (laughs) And so right away, Doc Ock is like, oh, this could be bad. (laughs) uh, It was uh, the story I could take or leave. Like whatever was going on is pointless. The real draw is how he interacts with the larger Marvel Universe. Which was a ton of fun. Chris Yost is good at that yeah. kind of interpersonal dialogue. He, uh, Spider-Man, whips Wolverine's ass. <laughs> and it was amazing. It was really funny. And that same dialogue where he's talking about, one side, dolts. <laughs> Hands off. <laughs> you know. And uh, it was really good. Great art. I'm giving it a buy it. Savage Wolverine number one from Marvel. Frank Cho takes over on Wolverine as the artist and writer. As predicted, it's absolutely beautiful to look at. And Shauna the She-Devil shows up in a bikini on the first page, fourth panel. There she is. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) It's like after the uh, title page. Boom. Boom. Page two, dinosaur. So, (laughs) Frank Cho is kind of typecasting himself. The story was nothing fantastic, but it wasn't bad. It's very pretty. I think it's going to be fun. Giving it a buy it, but not the most exciting buy it. Took me several pages to figure out how they could be in the Savage Land and also on an island somewhere because the Savage Land is in Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, it's just off the coast of the Savage Land or whatever. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's within the Savage yeah. Land. There is an island. 
That's all secondary. I was just confused for a while. The Highways, number one from IDW. This is a straight-up sci-fi series by John Byrne, written and drawn by John Byrne, uh, in the same vein as his trio series, which just here's a all-new original superhero book. This is a sci-fi story about uh, some deep space explorers and weird things happening when they get to this colony out in space. It was good. It was well-written, well-drawn. I know that John Byrne is a lunatic, but he still has the chops. I know that Joe Patrick is a John Byrne apologist. I'm not. I know the dude is crazy. <laughs> I know it. This is, I mean, you just can't argue that this is a, a, a good, fun book. I, I want to see what happens next. I'm giving it a buy it. Bionic Man versus Bionic Woman, number one from Dynamite. That's right, buddy. You know what? Uh, Keith Champagne wrote this. He's a longtime inker. He wrote some other stuff that I recognized his name on, but didn't particularly care for it. This was not bad. It was kind of fun. Steve Austin is loaned to the FBI to go investigate these bionic murders. The bionic woman is working for another agency. I can't remember if they really told us which one it was. She is also on the same investigation. This really was not poorly written. There was a couple problems with the art here and there, but I'm giving it a skim it. Doctor Who, The Impossible Crossing, number one, by Alexander Beatty and Sarah Dunkerton. This was self-published. That's right. They sent this to us. Uh, Sarah Dunkerton got in contact with us via Twitter, and I read the first issue of this fan-made Doctor Who series online, and it was really great. Really? Yeah. Cool. It was really, really well written. The art is gorgeous. Isn't it fun to get fan fiction that isn't homoerotic? <laughs> yes. Uh, Sarah Dunkerton is the artist. Uh, she is an art student or a grad student. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not exactly sure which. But this is a beautiful looking book. There are some anatomy uh, issues when it comes to her drawing people. But the backgrounds, the settings, the colors, it takes place on the Titanic. And it's got the David Tennant doctor meeting one of the doctors from the past. Uh, it is so far. It's off to a great start. I actually want to read more of this as a fan. Hey. I really, really enjoyed it. Great job, guys! Seek it out. Uh, I don't know if you can buy it, but it's online somewhere. Doctor Who: The Impossible Crossing. I'm giving it a thumbs up. Is that like a buy it? It's like a buy it. Call but it a buy it. Call it's it like a buy it, but there's no actual buying. Let's stick to the. Let's stick to the scare. Buy it. Scree crunk. That is your ludicrous speed round and scree crunk. The sound Stiltman makes when he grabs a helicopter in flight, as seen in this week's Daredevil number twenty-two. Now that we've increased our performance, it's time to bring things back down with the aid of our favorite Canadian shaman from Alpha Flight, and join him in the Sanctum Sanctorum where his burning incense made from both Sasquatch and Puck's chest hair, and feeding us dried Wendigo droppings dipped in hash oil in hope that our spirit animals will lead us on a trek to the secrets of next week's comics. We're eating Wendigo poop. Matt, <laughs> none of this makes sense. What's your pick for next week? My pick for next week is Uncanny X-Force, number one from Marvel, written by Sam Humphreys, with art by Ron Garney. Speaking of Puck, he's back. Not in hell anymore, and he's the only dude on this team, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Spiral is also here. Another one of my favorite, like, C-list X characters. Used to be a villain. I'm curious to see why she's good now. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Joe Patrick, what is your pick for next week? I have chosen Star Trek Countdown to Darkness, number one from IDW, written by Mike Johnson with art by David Messina. This is the comic book 
that bridges the gap between the first and second J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. And I can't wait. When Khan shows up, oh man, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> uh, the first Countdown series kind of bridged the gap between the old Next Generation universe and the new movie universe. And it was an amazing comic. It was so good. It was and so much fun. I have no doubt that this will be more quality Star Trek storytelling from Mike Johnson and David Messina. Mike Johnson, who was one of the screenwriters of the new yeah. Star Trek movie. I'm very excited for it. Not only because I love the new Star Trek, but I just think that these guys do great Star Trek comics. They really do. Our trade paperback pick of the week is the Books of Magic Deluxe Edition hardcover from Vertigo by Neil Gaiman and John Bolton. This is the story of John Constantine and the Phantom Stranger kidnapping Harry Potter and forcing him into the terrifying <laughs> world of sorcery. Or something like Figuratively. that. Figuratively. <laughs> this is the first time this story has ever appeared in hardcover, and it's a great read. Seek it out on the shelves of your local comic shop next week. Will you agree that Neil Gaiman, Gaiman or whatever, is maybe a more approachable and cuddly Alan Moore? For sure. <laughs> He's like the good Alan Moore. <laughs> For sure. And be sure to tell us what comics eating mystical beast crap makes you want to read over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Before we move along, why don't you read us some more answers to the question of the week, baby? Camarillo Brio writes in with Adventure Time. He says it really gets the kinetic feel of the show, so I'd say it's the best. However, the worst has to be Boom Studios' take on anything Disney. Yeah. Wally and and Finding Nemo were terrible. And as a side note, how the hell did Marvel screw up the Superhero Squad comics? The show was a great comic to screen adaptation and homage to their history and heroes for kids. Then they couldn't adapt it back to print? Yeah, the Superman Family Adventures, way better. Way, way better. Way better. Aaron Kilborn says, despite that I only read... The two or so issues I bought on Comixology, I'm going to go with Masters of the Universe. I've never really read any of the other comics about it, if there were any, and there were, and didn't watch the show much as I'm a child of the 90s, but I will say I absolutely loved it. You can Netflix all that crap. Yeah, do it. You can figure out what screwed Joe Patrick and I up. We really recommend- Why we make so many homoerotic jokes. We really recommend the <laughs> He-Man, She-Ra Christmas special. Oh, well, it's something. The first few issues set up and built upon Man-at-Arms- <laughs> <laughs> and the character just seemed so badass. Definitely worth checking out, both fans of Masters of the Universe and non-fans. Duncan was a total badass. Duncan. Zach Hollowell says, you should witness what I'm witnessing here in the ziggurat. balancing on my yoga ball to work my core. <laughs> <laughs> I'm exercising while we do this. Zach Hollowell's vote for worst cartoon to comics adaptation has to be Saturday Morning Watchmen. Which was a YouTube sensation a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Harvey Locust says, Mask, which took the best of G.I. Joe and Transformers, had two short-lived series from DC they that were, were both almost really good. spot on. Yeah, they were really good. There's, there was also a great Cops uh, comic book at that time with art by Bart Sears. That's true. I think yeah. that's where Bart Sears got his start. It might be. And finally, Aaron Myers, King of Askinerd, says, Best cartoon to comic adaptation... Futurama. Most of the Bongo Publishing comic adaptations are pretty good, but Futurama has been consistently excellent. I would say Adventure Time since it's actually the best, but that's the easy answer. For worst, 
it's Masters of the Universe. He did not like it. I didn't like it either. I thought it sucked. I, I did think the one shot, the Skeletor the, one shot, and he that he, was great. He says that. I haven't read any good adaptations of the cartoon at all, with the exception of the recent origin of Skeletor one shot that came out recently. I did love that one shot. It was awesome. Guys, as always, thanks for all of the responses. Uh, Brillo and Kilborn. Mad props to those two. They respond every week. Love it. Love it. Keep it up, guys, and we'll see you again next week with another question of the week. Better check yourself before you wreck yourself Cause I'm bad for your health I come real stealth Dropping bombs on your mob F*** man at arms Two and five crime I'm the nerd which is Friday 129 Soda for a 6 Always let tricks know And friends know We got the comics yo <laughs> Is that even close? <laughs> that was dope <laughs> When you hear my boy Dainty Joe rapping like that It must mean the comic pushers are back, forcing comics down some poor junkie's throat. Last week on the show, during the question of the week, we bumped into a wrist-scratching, sweatpants-wearing comic freak named Kate, who said, I ain't got no love for no superhero comics. What you whack-ass comic posters got to say about that I'm paraphrasing, of course. Paraphrasing, So we decided to suggest to young, confused Kate some superhero titles that were a little off the beaten path. Joe, what do you got for Kate? The first thing that popped into my head for a off-the-beaten-path superhero story has to be Warren Ellis and Stuart Eminem's Next Wave. Yeah. The superhero comic for people that hate superheroes. Fun stuff. Yeah. I think it is a phenomenal story, a great, comedic, well-drawn, off-the-wall, crazy-pants comic about uh, some, let's just call them underachieving superheroes. <laughs> They're pretty terrible people for the most part. And and their quest to stop Dirk Anger. <laughs> I forgot about Dirk. <laughs> it's such a wonderful, wonderful story. And the only reason it didn't continue on is because Stuart Eminem got the call up to the big leagues to draw Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, he was instantly famous after and that. They, I mean, he was already a well-known comic uh, artist and uh, you, know, you don't turn down Ultimate Spider-Man. So, no. And no, it's no. all been uphill for that guy. And they didn't want to do, to their credit, they didn't want to, Marvel didn't want to crank out any next wave without him. True that. Matt, what do you have? You know what? Speaking of Ultimate Spider-Man, I would suggest Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, I honestly, but I mean, that is very traditional still. It is very traditional, but I feel like it's written so humanly that it becomes an exception to the rule. It becomes a heartwarming, modernized Spidey story with real relationships and like real problems that I think she could probably get into. I would also say, if you want to go more girl power, J.H. Williams' Batwoman. Pick up all of it. Just start. It, it really stands alone before and after the relaunch. It really stands alone very well. Beautiful to look at. He's really fleshed Katie Kane out as a really impressive character. And not just in the sense where DC said, we need more women and they should be, you know, lesbians <laughs> so we can uh, have more diversity in our comics he does a really good job of writing a conflicted gay character that was in the military and left because of don't ask don't tell she's not conflicted about being gay she's not conflicted, <laughs> she's about conflicted being gay. for other things she was conflicted because she loved the military and she did very well there right and she's got a complicated but relation with her father she couldn't lie about who she was anymore so she came out to her officers and her father at the same time and they booted her and she got booted from the military and now she fights crime as batwoman but it's more sort of like a cult 
type crime. It, yeah. it definitely has magic elements. I highly recommend and it. And she's not necessarily endorsed by Batman, so no. there's that drama. She's just doing it, her own thing. It's a great series. She's inspired by, but not endorsed by Batman. Right. Uh, for something a little more indie, I would suggest giving Invincible and the Invincible spinoffs a try, like Guarding the Globe. They are very... I think that might be tough. No, no. They are very superhero... Derivative. Derivative. But in a way, in that way, Robert Kirkman takes a, a, a well-known idea like zombies or superheroes and turns it on its ear. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll give you that. Like, Invincible, when I started reading it, I read about six issues and really didn't see what anybody cared about. Like, yes. it just wasn't doing much. That's because you need and to then, get up to issue 10. <laughs> what, yeah, I got to issue 10 and something happened that yes. I went, this is not a normal superhero right. book. Right. <laughs> and it is, it's full of those super superhero tropes, but without any of the baggage that keeps... Kirkman from doing what he wants. If he wants to kill somebody, he does. Yeah. If he wants to turn somebody evil, he does and has. Absolutely. Many times. And it's uh, very real. Uh, it's a really real take on how these people would kind of behave and interact with each other. And for something a little different and maybe skewed, I would suggest Danger Club. That's where also exactly where I was going to go next. Edited by our girl Brandon Bigglestone. Uh, written by Landry Walker. And it is a great story about sidekicks. Drawn by somebody. <laughs> drawn by somebody. I'm sorry the name is escaping me. It's but good, too. <laughs> it's great art, great art, great coloring. It's a beautiful looking book. It is about sidekicks that get left behind when they're... Uh, like all the heroes and villains. They go off into space. Go into to, space to fight this massive threat and they all die. They, or they, or they, they disappear. disappear anyway. They're and, never heard from again. And what comes out is that maybe there was no threat. Maybe they got lured into space. Right. And somebody actively it has been working against them and trying to take over. But it's a Lord of the Flies type story. Yeah, so it, it, these the, kids are left on Earth to their own devices and... They have not done a great job. No, and it's biting, <laughs> it's satirical, it makes a lot of fun of superhero comics. Yeah. So I could see, it would be something that you might really enjoy if you've been someone who's really looked down at hero comics for a long time. But I think that's a great start, and if you think superhero comics aren't for you, those would be some excellent titles to try and get a different spin on that well-worn genre. Thank you for your letter, Kate. Well, you didn't really write a letter. You just kind of complained a little bit on the question of the week. But hey, there you go. We suggested some stuff for you, and we hope you dig it. If you need to smoke, snort, or shoot a new comic series but don't know where to start, send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Comic Pushes. Sort of break it, break it down like this. That's it for this gold medal stripping episode of Two Headed Nerd. If you think two nerds bulking up the easy way and then refusing to apologize for steroid use to anyone but Chris Hardwick on a must-see, very special Talking Dead is your idea of comic book journalism, you can subscribe to this show. He's on our I Oprah, folks. <laughs> you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, where if you want to prove your THN love, you can leave us a star rating and a written review and help us get in the iTunes top ten. By the way, I think we're on Stitcher now. I. Are we? I don't know. You you did the thing, right? Well, I applied, but... If you're listening, Stitcher, we've applied. <laughs> Huge thanks to this week's donors, Tim and Aaron. And if you'd like to help keep us in fake urine and clean blood, you can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved 
TwoHeadedNerd.com. Tim is a two-time donor, which puts him in the Antarctic Vibranium category. Antarctic Vibranium. (laughs) Not as good as regular Vibranium. (laughs) You'll get there, buddy. While you're at TwoHeadedNerd.com, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail or the comic that you'd like us to review, much like the one that made it into our five this week. That's right. We love receiving that stuff. And don't forget to check out all the new content from the THN Love Slaves at TwoHeadedNerd.com, including... The Return of Nerd TV. Joe Patrick thought I'd never be able to say that again. By David DeMarco, who takes a hard look at King of the Nerds. Oh, boy. And remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers, be sure to check out the TwoEditNerd.com web-exclusive Not Safe for Whiners audio blog, The Answer of the Week. Next week, get ready for us to take a look. It's in a book where we'll be reviewing Ed Brubaker's scene of the crime graphic novel. And check our Facebook page for details on the second annual THN Birthday Bash coming this February 2nd at Legend Comics and Coffee. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Brent Durling, who told us that upon hearing his name read on the show, his wife was instantly struck seven months pregnant. That's powerful stuff, y'all. Word to you, Brent, and baby Joseph Matthew, and you're welcome for that name suggestion, buddy. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. so sweet,